Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 146. Al Morris, part two, advanced lessons in coyote hunting and strategies for spring and summer. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is brought to you by Morris's Sporting Goods and the Euro Hanger. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey, this is Charles Byron, deer hunting from California all the way to Iowa. You're about to listen to another amazing episode of my favorite deer hunting podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, this is Dan Coffin. I shot the uh, Coffin Buck. You're about to listen to another episode of my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey, this is Travis T. Bone Turner with Bone Collector and Realtree Road Trip, and you're about to listen to another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registries Deer Hunting Podcast. Can't thank you enough for joining us on another epic part two series of the show where we're actually going to talk to Al Morris again. And I am, and I know he's listening right now, Dusty Phillips is tuning in as well. What's happening, Dusty? Yo, yo, yo. It's uh, turkey season here in Ohio, Jay, and weather's breaking. Things are looking good for the spring turkey hunts. I'm jealous because you get to go about two weeks before I can engage, but when it gets here, man, it's epic. I am, I'm seeing more birds than I've ever seen before. I can't wait, dude. Coming to New Hampshire, May 6th through the 10th, hunting the old thunder chickens. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a great pastime. You know, it's a good, good reason to get out in the woods, do some deer scouting. I never say that I was, uh, before I would never like be able to say that I'm going to New Hampshire turkey hunting. It's pretty cool to be able to say that, really. It is cool. And I, I am, I'm proud of, of the way the whole project has, has come together where, you know, we had no turkeys in the seventies. Yeah. Ohio didn't either really. Right. And and just to see this progression throughout the States and where there were none, now you're talking about coming to New Hampshire to hunt a turkey. It's just, it's nuts. Right. But you know, as many turkeys as we've seen when I was out there bear and whitetail hunting this past fall. Right. I can't. I can't say no to coming to New Hampshire turkey hunt. We've right. seen turkeys everywhere, Jay. They're everywhere, and, and it's nice to to know that you're gonna have a pretty darn good shot at, at taking some home. That's right. That's sure. very cool. With with a great great group of guys coming together and, and having some fun. Absolutely. It don't get no better when you get to, to hunt with your buddies and your friends, and you know you're you're dang near a brother to me, Jay and and uh, Greg and, and Mike coming out, man. Yeah. It's going to be a great time, yeah. man. It really is. It was nice to, to hunt the whitetail down in Ohio, and now you know the four of us getting together again and, and trying to recreate some of that magic we had down there. <laughs> we're we're going to have a good time. Yeah, we sure are. Well, we're going to have a good time on the show today. I can guarantee you that. We're, uh, we had, by, back by popular demand is Al Morris from Fox Pro. We're going to go a little deeper and, and get into some advanced tactics for coyote hunting. And, you know, you, you think that you might be just turkey or you might be just coyote hunting 
in December or January or February, March. But in fact, as we have learned from Al, it should be an all-year-round endeavor. And actually, his favorite week of the whole year to hunt coyotes is not actually in the wintertime. It's actually in the summertime, the week of July 4th, which blew me away. So because we had such a huge response to the first one and because I felt like we got you know the basics out of the way on the first round of Talking L, I decided to bring him back, and he graciously agreed to come back and fill us in on all the more advanced tactics that he uses and that we can use as coyote hunters, as game managers. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to have L on in a minute, but before we get there, let's turn to Jim Keller with the deer news. The deer news this week is sponsored by the Eurohanger. You don't have to spend big bucks to hang your big buck. Get yourself a Eurohanger. Facebook.com forward slash Eurohanger, E-U-R-O-H-A-N-G-E-R. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week comes from Ireland. Mass deer grave at well-known country estate poses enormous biosecurity threat. The Irish Farmers Association has said a mass deer grave discovered on a well-known country estate poses an enormous biosecurity threat. Earlier this month, the independent IE revealed that separate investigations had been launched after photos emerged online of an open pit containing dozens of sicka deer carcasses. The pictures were taken at the Lagala Estate in County Wicklow, which is owned by Guinness family member Garrick de Bruyne. It was a summer retreat for performer Michael Jackson and is also the location for the TV series Vikings. Now the IFA has strongly condemned the discovery, saying it is further evidence of the inadequacy of the current approach to managing a national deer population that is spiraling out of control. Studies carried out by the Department of Agriculture show levels of TB in deer to be between 16 and 24 percent, The discovery of the recent dump indicates that those charged with culling the animals cannot be trusted in their adherence to the legal obligations for the disposal of dead animals. The 5,000-acre estate near Roundwood was a former holiday retreat for Michael Jackson, who stayed there for nearly 11 weeks with his children in 2006. Dozens of other famous names, including rock stars Bono and Mick Jagger, have also stayed in the estate. Hunters take fewer deer in 2015. This story was originally reported by Leo Roth of the Democrat and Chronicle. New York hunters harvested 15% fewer deer in 2015 as compared to 2014, with data suggesting that mild weather and fewer deer management permits available as the reasons. The Department of Environmental Conservation, in its final white-tiered deer harvest estimate, shows that 202,973 deer were taken statewide during the 2015-2016 season compared to 238,672 the year prior. State wildlife biologists and staff collect harvest data through the state's phone and internet reporting system as well as examining nearly 14,000 deer at check stations and meat processors. From these sources, estimates of the deer harvest can be formulated. The 2015 deer take includes an estimated 99,572 bucks with legal antler sizes and 103,401 antlerless deer, which include adult female deer and fawns. Statewide, that represents 8.3 and 20.5% declines, respectively. 
The DEC said in a news release that these drops were not unexpected. The severe winter of 2014 and 2015 had an impact on the deer survival, and the number of the deer management permits available was cut by 7% as wildlife managers worked to achieve population targets. New York's harvest estimates date to 1955 when hunters took a mere 59,532 deer. It peaked at 308,216 deer in 2002. The five-year average for 2010-2014 is 236,731 deer per year. Hunting helps maintain the state's total deer herd at 1 million. Roadkill deer elk now legal to take home and eat. This story was originally reported by Casey McAfee in the Yakima Herald. Starting in July, if you hit a deer or elk in Washington State, you can throw it in your trunk and take it home. Washington State has joined the majority of other western states in allowing people to salvage road-killed deer and elk. To make it legal, you'll have to get a salvage permit within 24 hours, which will be available online or at regional Washington Department of Fishing Wildlife offices. There's no cost for the tag needed, but we do want people to track this, said Fish and Wildlife spokeswoman Madonna Lures. But drivers take note, you can't kill a deer or elk that was hit by a car and injured. If the injuries are serious, you'll have to have a Fish and Wildlife officer or someone else who's authorized to use euthanize it before taking it home. Last weekend's action by the Washington Fishing Wildlife Commission allows anyone to pick up a roadkill deer or elk except in Clark Hollets and Waukeman counties where only elk may be taken due to the endangered Columbian white-tailed deer herd there. Currently, deer and elk killed on state highways are picked up by the State Department of Transportation crews and taken to remote areas for coyotes, cougars, eagles, or other wildlife to eat. DOT spokesman Jeff Adamson said the DOT crews for many years took roadkill deer to local jail or public facilities to be incorporated into their meals. That ended after a lawsuit brought by inmates at Chelan County who successfully argued that the meat was not inspected as required by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The provision does not allow for you to take other roadkilled animals like moose or bear. It doesn't go into effect until July to give fishing game wildlife staff time to develop a reporting system. And big game licenses tags cannot be used for the purpose of salvaging vehicle killed deer or elk. Minnesota DNR appeals ruling that invalidated major deer poaching bust. This story was reported originally by Tony Kennedy of the Star Tribune. The Minnesota Department of Natural Resources on Friday appealed judge's ruling from earlier in the week that invalidated a major deer poaching bust. County Attorney Richard Stalls said in papers filed with the Minnesota Court of Appeals that his office wants to resume the prosecution of Joshua Dwight Libel of Dawson on 13 gross misdemeanor and misdemeanor counts of state fish and game violations. Those charges were dismissed Monday after a district court ruling that said DNR agents needed more than a tracking order to secretly attach a GPS tracking device to the underside of Libel's pickup truck. The GPS device was instrumental in Libel's arrest in October 2014. When conservation officers stopped him, Libel's pickup contained a white-tailed buck shot with a rifle even though gun season had not opened and Libel only had an archery license. While Libel was stopped, other officers arrived at his home with a search permit. They confiscated the head and shoulder mounts or racks of 37 dead deer along with 37 guns, an intact piebald white-tailed deer fawn, and other wildlife. It was the DNR's highest-profile deer poaching bust in recent memory, and it played a role in Governor Mark Dayton's decision to push for a new state law on felony poaching. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here's Al Morris. 
Al Morris, welcome back to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. What's that, man? Hey, thanks for having me back, Jay. Uh, not much. It's just, uh, you know, the grass is starting to get green. We're starting to knock off that winter doldrums, and time to get after more coyotes, that's for sure. It, you know, it's it's interesting that we're bringing in coyote hunting to a deer hunting podcast. And, you know, somebody might say, well, why are you doing that? I said, well, to me, and back me up on this if you, if you think it's accurate, that predator hunting is part of deer hunting. It absolutely is. And more important than that, I really think the coyote is the poor man's deer. Um, some people can't pay for the big leases or pay for the big ground. So they end up hunting public land and they do what they have to do to kill their deer. But you can still approach a landowner and say, hey, can I go out there and take care of your coyotes? And they, you know, they won't let you out there to hunt their turkeys this spring. They don't let you out there to hunt their deer in the fall. But if you can start that relationship with coyote hunting, and it's just, it's, everybody should be hunting coyotes. It really is, it's a game changer for uh, people managing for more, more of the species that we want to promote, the turkeys, the deer, quail, ducks, geese, pheasants, chuckers. Right. And there's a balance, right? I mean, we don't want to, we don't want to eliminate the coyote, but we'd like to. You can't. You can't. (laughs) That's, That's the thing. You really can't eliminate. Every time we've tried to eliminate the coyote in the history of this country, we failed. Right. And so what you do is you go out, it, it's a, it's a, it's just like you manage for big whitetails. You got to manage your property with coyotes and you don't want to kill them all, but you do want to take some of that population out so that some of your fawns are going to reach maturity. Right. All right. So this time of year, um, spring into summer, and I think we, you know, you can almost talk about it in different phases, really. You know, we talked last time we talked, it was winter time. We were thinking about, you know, hunting in, in snow and maybe over a yeah. carcass. <clears throat> and, and maybe that still applies here, but there are different things happening biologically in the woods now for the coyote and the, the pup. And certainly this is when, you know, you know the fawns are going to be born here in a, in a couple months. So, right. you know, what types of things should we be thinking of as a predator hunter at this time relative to the biology in the woods? Jay, this is it, it, the whole year is based about what's going to happen this this week, next week, the next month. Um, you know, coyotes breed February fifteenth is the peak. So if you had, uh, you know, say the first week of November is when the Midwest whitetails rut. February fifteenth is that week for coyotes, and they got a sixty-two day gestation period, just like a dog. So the last week of April, first week of May, which is right where we're at, um, those pups will hit the ground. And so what you have is these coyotes, this female has been trying to garner enough groceries to grow those pups in her belly. Once these pups hit the den, the, the coyotes completely change from being normal feeding, you know, normal rabbit captures, normal deer kills, to they go into hyperdrive when these pups are in the den. These coyotes will do whatever they need to do to feed those pups. So if they can't get enough natural forage, they're going to turn to the cats, the dogs, the the chickens, they're they're going to become nuisances. Uh, the guys up in Montana, um, man, those coyotes were hammering some uh, baby calves that were getting born here this last three weeks ago. Hmm. Um, I actually drove up to Montana and helped a buddy of mine. We killed a couple coyotes up there that were getting into his cattle. And so it just this whole event, this having these pups in the den, changes the demeanor of these coyotes and. Most people don't know that you can go take advantage of that. And spring, summer calling is as, actually some of my favorite time to call um, because 
number one, I know I'm doing most of the animals in the area a favor. And if somebody calls me with a problem, I, it's just awesome to go out there and help them with their problems. Gotcha. So what types of strategies should we employ in the spring, summer type season? It's, it's a different ball game, I would assume, than you know, late winter. Um, or Coyotes will de- defend these, these core areas, these pup the dens. Coyotes will defend these dens to the, to the death. Okay. Um, so you can really get out in another two weeks. Uh, these coyotes will become very vocal. They will let you know if you're close to their dens, they, especially at night. Um, but even during the day, early in the morning, just before dark, an hour before dark, you can go around and start some of the group howls, some of the locating howls, and these coyotes will let you know, hey, buddy, you don't want to come over here. This is where we got the, the kids are in the den. We're all set up here, we're, you know, and, and these coyotes just really will respect the territorial aspect of that. So if the hunter can go in there and do the lone house, the, the male coyote house, female yodel, and then I go into canine pups one and canine pups two. And what that is is just those are three, four, five-day-old pups that we recorded, and you play that. And a mom or a dad hears those canine pups, they will run to see what, because those pups, they'll stay in the den the first 13 days, their eyes are closed. The next 15 days, those puppies, they won't move much out of that den. But by the next 30 days, uh, getting into 60 days after being born, those pups will start to range 25, 30, 50 yards around that den. By 90 days, those pups are almost out hunting with mom and dad. And they get into, you know, they're just like kids that, you know, transitioning from young adults to teens and, and they'll get in trouble and mom and dad will protect them. So you can go out there and how locate them. You can get in close. And, uh, at the end of the day, don't forget to play some of the rabbit distress, some of the deer fawn distress, uh, even some of the bird distresses because they're still going to feed those kids. And, uh, some of the traditional sounds will come back into play uh, and be very effective. So there's actually not anything that's off the table, but man, they just, they're so much more aggressive in feeding these pups and protecting the pups. And so you can really fire on those cylinders. And, and I'm telling you what, it's just a pre- I just know each coyote at minimums killing three to four deer a year. Some of these coyotes that are good deer killers are killing a dozen, 15, 20, 30 deer a year. Gotcha. Okay. So this is more of a territorial challenge is, is what you're, you should be thinking as, as a coyote hunter at this time of year. And then yeah. second to that, you want to go in and put pressure on the, the, this mom and dad that have these pups in a den. You want to go put pressure on them, tell them there's another coyote moving into their area. Okay. They'll defend that core home area and they'll come take a look at you. They may not say a word. They may not answer you. They may not bark back. But if you go in there and do a male howl, which is male coyote howls, and then I do female yodel howls, I'll do with some with a diaphragm, just a non-aggressive howl. You're just saying, is anybody here? And that's what coyotes do, I think, as they go through territories. They'll kind of sound off to see if anybody's in the neighborhood. And uh, most of the time, that dominant pair will sound off and say, dude, this is not cool. This is our area. Get the heck out. So you want to go in there and play those non-aggressive And then by playing those uh, canine pups, um, and then the coyote pup distress three, coyote pup screams, coyote pup death cry, those high pitched sounds that we used just a couple months ago for the breeding nature, the, the high pitches for the breeding nature, all of a sudden they start working really well as the pups mature. Um, you can go in there and get those, 
uh, coyotes to come to you. And what's really fun is in June, July, August, um, you'll start getting the whole family. The pups will come, mom and dad will come. We call it the family special. Gotcha. Get them all to come. Elaborate on that a little bit more. Well, as those pups grow, they'll they'll start to learn that that's their, and mom and dad will show them how to defend that core home area. You can go in there and play some of those non-aggressive howls and get the whole group to answer. And it's awesome. It's awesome in July in August to go out there and think you're going to call in mom and dad and you get seven pups and mom and dad. That's the most I've ever called in on one stand is nine. Wow. And it was a family unit, seven pups and mom and dad. Okay. And so, and it, it's just awesome. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> that, that I've done it twice now. I've done nine twice. And uh, each time it's kind of intimidating to see nine coyotes. <laughs> and they, they work as a fine oiled machine. They're just surrounding and, it's all about the numbers game. They're gonna. They think there's somebody invading their territory. Gotcha. And they're gonna push them out. Can you let's talk about that that particular hunt? Let's talk about your most recent nine calling in nine coyotes at once. Take us through how you did that and where were you? What type of techniques techniques were you using? Um, you know, wind wind direction, all that kind of stuff. Let's let's talk about it that was, a little bit more uh, depth. It was late August, early September, and uh, it was just before the big game seasons were kicking in, and we knew we had a bunch of coyotes. I knew there was a bunch of coyotes on this one particular piece of property in Colorado, and me and my buddy, uh, Kelly Fender, we uh, worked up on a ridge, and I might have started with some rabbit distress, but I did a couple howls on just a non-aggressive howls on a diaphragm, and here came nine you know, there was, you could tell there were seven pups and two adults and they were coming in. I think they were coming initially to the rabbit distress, but then when they heard another coyote in their core home area, man, they, they were. And so I didn't do anything special. I didn't do anything too crazy. I just caught and tell distress on a hand call for probably four minutes. And then I did a couple howls at the five minute mark and I got ran over by nine coyotes and we did not shoot any of them. Hmm. I was waiting for Kelly to shoot. Kelly was waiting for me to shoot. You know how you, I wanted to get Kelly's uh, coyote with me. And, and uh, anyway, when it was done, we just sat and looked at each other, sh- shaking our heads and giggling about how neither of us could pull the trigger on nine coyotes. And it was thick. It was a lot of trees and it probably wasn't the best place to call a coyote. But uh, um, you don't have to, you don't have to get crazy. You don't have to do anything that you wouldn't do any other time coyote hunting. Just set yourself up, uh, get in. Know where those coyotes are living. Know where they like to call home. Know where you've been having problems with those coyotes because that's where they're growing those pups. And they will do, as those pups grow, the, the calorie demand goes up. So they're going to be they're going to be hammering your white tails. They're going to be hammering the turkeys. They're going to be hammering the rodent population. And uh, you'll see the carnage. You'll you'll see the kill sites, and, and that's a good place to start. Okay. Now, what other techniques should we be using to locate it or locate these packs other than the the carnage of some rodents, for example? Well, the the, the best thing to do is see them to, to see dens. To know your property intimately and know where they're they're having these pups in dens. The second thing to do is go around at night, play uh, coyote uh, pair, coyote group yip house, coyote locator on the Fox Pro. There's several good groups. There's coyote group now. Coyote uh, a female sore how is a new how that just we just came out with. Uh, look at this other one here. Um, coyote family is another group. Okay. Uh, sound that uh, you if you go around at night and play these group sounds these other coyotes will sound up and say hey we're here move on and so you 
what you do is if you can do that at night, three or four nights in a row, and the first night I'll do it right at dark. As soon as it starts to get dark, I'll start howling, and I'll go through the areas that I can hunt. And then the next night, I'll go at midnight and do the loop. And then the next morning, I'll go at uh, 3 or 4 a.m. and do a loop just before the sun comes up. And if I can do that three or four nights in a row, I can tell you where your coyotes are living on your property. I can tell you when they're on your uncle's place. I can tell you when they're on that property that you can hunt. <clears throat> and so it's it's critical to understand when those coyotes are utilizing that area that you have to hunt. And then here in another month, those puppies will come out of the den at night and start howling too. So you'll hear mom and dad, and then you'll hear what I call the little yappers. And so you'll be able to identify where their dens are. Where they're, and they'll move. They'll have three or four dens. And they typically, they'll move their puffs if they if somebody gets too close or they think their puffs are in danger. But the number one reason they change dens is because of fleas. The fleas get so thick in, the, in a den, they'll move. Is that right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a lot of people don't think about that. But, uh, yeah. And the puppies, when they're young, they don't go out of the den. So they're pooping in there and stuff. Gets stinky, gets flea, and it's time to move to a new hole. Gotcha. And so uh, they will be mobile. They will move. But you can start identifying where they're living on the properties you can hunt. And once you do that, once you identify right where those, that den is, you can go in and and get close, but get the wind right, get a good setup, and, and call and see if anything comes. And you can start out with rabbit distress. If nothing comes, um, you can go to the non-aggressive howl. And then you can start, when a guy has some success, remember what you did to garner that success. And then you can, uh, when you find another group and it works year after year. Um, and typically if one group of coyotes thinks an area is good to den, even though you kill those coyotes or you remove those coyotes, the next pair that moves in will probably think it's really good place too. So year after year, you can kind of find and get a pattern as to where you need to look for the coyotes in your area. It's it's just, this isn't a one and done deal. This is a management, and this is something that everybody needs to kind of commit to. And, and some of us are taking it to a level we probably shouldn't be. <laughs> you get a little but involved. If it, helps you, if it helps the people listening to your podcast, um, just identify those areas. Find and, and the best way is to see them. The best way to find a coyote is to see the coyote. Uh, the next best thing is to hear them. And the next, uh, besides that, then you want to see where they're feeding, where their kills are. Okay. And, uh, you know, you saw them deer hunting. You'll see them in the spring turkey hunting while you're calling turkey. I've, seen, I've already seen some clips of where coyotes have come in and tried to get the guy's decoys. Um, it's just really cool. So if I and, see uh, one, should there be others hiding that I, I, I can't almost, see? Almost. For every one you see, there's probably 10 you don't. Okay. But uh, it just, you know, the densities throughout the United States vary. Right. But I have yet to I have yet to find a place that I can't find pretty good densities of coyotes. Close to, I mean, downtown, right down in towns. <laughs> we were in Kansas City at the Predator Expo. And we started practicing howling out in the parking lot, and we got a coyote howling right there in the middle of Kansas City. <laughs> I mean, they're living there. It's, it's, yeah. There isn't any place I've been that I can't find them. So it just takes a little more. It, it, you got to be a little more conscious about it and go out and, and make an effort at night to to hear them howl. And then you got to get out and walk the ground. You got to nothing better than to find it, Dan, especially one that's active. Right. Let's talk about your loop a little bit. You're, you said that you know you you, you break it up um, evening, midnight, early morning, and then you, you do the loop. What's the loop consist of? How far are we traveling, and what kind of roads are we looking at? 
Well, out west, I can run. I got all this public land, and I can go. I can, I've started howling at dark, and I've gone till 4 or 5 a.m., and I go every two miles, every three miles. Sometimes I'll go five miles in between if there's rocks or a canyon or something I can't call. But typically, typically, um, I go to three miles to um, get to the next spot that I want to call. Now, in the Midwest to the east, you don't have that territory. So you have your Uncle Bob's place. But nothing says you can't stop in a road and see what's on the neighbor's place right. and, and how from the main road. And if you'll do that, you'll start to develop a pattern. And what I've noticed, um, I had a guy from uh, Kentucky that uh, it was a three-year quest. He, his uncle had 700 acres, which is quite a few, you know, that's quite a pretty big piece of property. Right. And, uh, you know, all deer hunting, he'd see the coyotes come through. Turkey hunting in the spring, he'd see coyotes. It took him three years till he called one in. And what we found with his coyotes is they were on a three to six day loop. Those coyotes would be on his uncle's place and then they would be gone for the next three to six days hmm. on the neighbor's places and stuff. And so it, it took him three years to figure out that pattern that they were on. And then he could anticipate when those coyotes were going to be on his uncle's place. Is this so a, you have to is, kind of, is that a pattern you see frequently where they're on such a large loop that you can't? Yes. Okay. I really think those coyotes, I mean, I've seen coyotes live in one square mile, but I've seen most of them to make a living. They will range 12, 15, 20 miles. And it's not, they can do that in one night real easy, which they got the legs to do it. People don't, and I, I might've mentioned this last time, but out there in Colorado, I actually followed a coyote that went 51 miles yes, in one night. You did. That's amazing. I mean, just think about and 50, it, it, two it, marathons. Why would they do that? What, what is it that they're trying to do? Are they trying to get to a was, certain spot? I really think they have to cover that much country up there at 10,000 feet to find anything to eat. Gotcha. And so they, they just commit themselves to that calorie. They're going to burn that many calories to find something, you know, find the next meal. Where once you get Midwest and East, I don't think they have to do that. But I do think they're on that 6, 10, 12-mile loop that may encompass 10 or 12 different landowners, you know. So you've got to anticipate when those coyotes are abusing your deer and how big your place is. And then, like I've been to uh, um, Kansas and the coyote densities are so thick in Kansas. It's stupid. There's so much competition in Oklahoma and Kansas. Those coyotes are just crazy for the vocals because there's, they have to be so aggressive to keep uh, their territories. So by playing those vocalizations in Kansas, you're getting coyotes to come almost every stand. And so it's just been, it's been amazing. Gotcha. So let's talk about some, some more advanced uh, techniques perhaps um, for this time of year and the setups that we should be looking at. I mean, we talked about the calls that we should uh, do, but what's the actual hunt setup look like? What are you bringing into the woods with you? What type of gear, what type of firearm are we using? And does it, does it vary by terrain? What types of things should we be thinking about as hunters as we prepare for this type of hunt? Um, you know, most of my spring-summer sets are next to pastures or open burning land that most of, the, most of the pastures are just growing. They're really thin. You know, they haven't, by May 1st of June, some of them will get tall. Yep. You know, some of those, uh, especially a fescue right. in a lot of places will get tall. So you want to you wanna find those pastures that have cattle that are grazed down that, uh, um, that are just more accessible. And those are the places that I concentrate on to call. 
Because if you call a coyote in three foot tall grass, you're not going to see that coyote. Right. So you've got you've got to hunt those those farm fields that, and then a lot of times I'll go in that summertime. Like we went to Vermont in June. Yep. And we timed it to be with the first cutting of the hay, and it actually rained so much that a bunch of the fields weren't cut. But um, when we ran into trouble with that, but the corn was only about six eight inches tall. So we could see the coyotes. We'd set up next to a cornfield where we could call the coyotes out of the thick cover and into these pastures that had been grazed or into these cornfields or into these fields that had been cut. So that's what a guy needs to concentrate on is you've got to find a place in proximity to where you think these coyotes are living that you can call them out and see them. And then the gun, like I said last time, it doesn't matter whether it's a 22 250 223 uh, 243 25-06. That doesn't matter. But... Uh, um, you just want to set up where you can be successful with the coyotes. All right, so you want to be able to see a decent ways. You don't want to get stuck in tall grass this time right. of year, up through May June. You might you might be starting to see some larger growth in some of the fields, the hay fields. Right. The first cut is is ideal. It sounds like it, it's awesome. Even the second cut into July, you can still go in there and use the same. You know, the non-aggressive house, the canine puppy still works. Um, coyote pup screams really gets good because those pups are out poking around and they invariably get into trouble and mom and dad will come defend them to the death. Okay. Gotcha. The gun doesn't matter as much as long as you've got one. Um, you want to have a decent range and when you're setting up and and again, this is just because I want to go a little deeper into the setup when you're setting up with your Fox pro and you work for Fox pro and the, how does it work? You've got a, a remote control that you've got in your hand, and right. the unit is it's sitting a wireless next to you? remote okay. control that you can get. You know, you can get 300 yards from most of our units, and they're going to turn on and turn off and volume up and volume down. You don't need to get that far away. Typically, on 90% of my setups, I'm within 50 yards of the unit. Okay. And I try to get directly downwind of the unit because invariably those coyotes will circle to get the wind. So if I'm on the edge of a cornfield and I can see into the corn, but everything to my right, let's say, is really thick, I will take that collar 50 to 100 yards out into that cornfield that's only four or six inches tall, Mm. and I'll set the collar out there. And then I'm actually setting on the edge of the field where if a coyote comes to the edge, sometimes I'll go out into the field 30, 40 yards so I can see the edge better. So a lot of times coyotes will not expose themselves unless, you know, Unless they know they can run naked. And what I mean by running naked is um, if you can run around naked and people can't see you from a road, it's probably a good place for a coyote to be. So coyotes won't expose themselves along a road. You know, and a lot of places in the Midwest and the East is mile by mile. There's roads, you know. Right. But if you can get off that, walk down a lane, walk through some, you know, a couple fields and get to a field where nobody's. And those coyotes feel, let's just say they feel safer. They're not getting shot at from the road. People from the road aren't stopping and looking at them. Um, But get yourself where you can see along that edge. And if for whatever reason that coyote is so intrigued with the call that he runs to the fox pro, he's going to expose himself out in that short stubble. So... Um, gotcha. All right. So you're, you're, you're going to set the call up, but you're going to be watching the the edge of that field where the thick stuff turns into the, 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 I don't, I don't always expect the coyote to run out in the open field. Okay. So you've got to set yourself up where you can see that edge. And when he pokes up, puts his chest on that edge, looking that field over, looking for that noise, looking for that coyote pup in distress or looking for those canine pups or, 
um, man, you can you can put a bullet in him and uh, take him out. Okay, so you, you're looking down the, the, the edge of the field that's covering, it's going into the thick because they might pop right. out of there and take a look before they, they approach, basically. And, and, and most, most guys need to learn their properties and learn where they think those coyotes, I mean, coyotes are going to be mousing or hunting that first hour of light, you know, but midday, I call it bedding or loafing areas. And so you've got to, you've got to figure out which patch of hardwoods those coyotes are using to to um, not only raise their pups, but they're, they use those to bed during the day for protection, you know, to keep them out of harm's way. They're, I mean, everybody's got a block of hardwoods close to their house that they think might have coyotes, but if you do a little research, walk through it, maybe jump a coyote that's loafing there during the day, set up in proximity to that block of woods and call where you can see into the edge of that and try and put the call out into one of those hay fields that's cut. Maybe it's a cow pasture that's just got a lot of grazing on it and just try to get those coyotes to come to an edge. Gotcha. So as you're doing your loop, and I'm trying to put this all together as a game plan. You bet. You're going from every three, five miles, two, three, five miles, whatever you decide is going to be your, your, your strategy for the, the mileage. You stop, you call, you you then do this this loop that you have created in, in different spots where you could potentially hunt. Then right. once you've identified, based off of sounds, where the population might be hanging out, then you want to go to perhaps a, a, a topo map or a Google Maps and try to figure out the topography of the land where they're probably coming in and out of and where they cannot be seen from the road. Is that is that right. an accurate description? Depiction. Oh, yeah. No, and you've already got those topo maps. Most places I've ever hunted, everybody already knows where their food plots are on the map. Sure. Everybody knows where the fields are, the, the crop fields, whether it be beans or corn. Or You've already got the maps you need to dissect that property. And it, and it doesn't mean that you have to be away from the roads. It's just coyotes feel safer, especially in the Midwest. I've noticed the coyotes, they don't like to, they don't like to be seen. So any little rise, any little part, you, you know, the first... 300 acres might be next to a road, but the other 320 acres is over a hill or whatever. That 320 acres that's over the hill, and I call them naked, that's a, that's where those coyotes are going to be living on that property. Okay. All right. So you want to just kind of remember that if you hurt them, that's where you want to start hunting them is where you, nope. you can't be really seen well from the road, so to speak. You want to get out a little bit into the, into yeah. the fields, the hidden fields yep. that nobody can see. Um, work the edge if you get some kind of response on your calling. Now, yep. is there regional or geographic areas of the country that the coyote hunting varies from place to place? So is, it, is northeast hunting different from Kansas hunting, different from California, different from Arizona, different <laughs> from Florida? How does it all See, there's work? This big, there's this big debate that everybody will tell you that an eastern coyote is smarter than a western coyote. Okay. I disagree. A coyote is a coyote is a coyote. What you're dealing with is difference in terrain, difference in experience, difference in uh, mainly the big difference between an eastern and a western coyote is the exposure to human beings. There's a lot more people in the you know, Midwest to east than there is out west. So the coyotes that are living in the east have learned those spots, those the niches that keep them away from people. And uh, so a coyote is a coyote is a coyote. And once you find out the pastures that they like to hang in, um, Coyotes have rendezvous sites. Hmm. Um, coyotes have areas that they will gather as a family group, 
typically, I've noticed if there is a pond or a pond dam, it's an area that's flat, usually not much brush around it. Uh, the dominant male will always like to little elevation, whether it's 3 feet, 10 feet, 20 feet. Um, the dominant male will like it. And I call them rendezvous sites, and you can almost bank that that's where you'll get coyotes to howl at you from. And you, if you identify those rendezvous sites. Now, some places, like in, in uh, Maine, there is no rendezvous site. It's nothing but dense hardwoods for miles and miles and miles. Right. Okay. And any little opening uh, works for them. Vermont was really cool. I had never hunted. A kid from Utah had never hunted a day in Vermont. But we went there and killed six in short order. And it was all on edges. It was all on the edge of fields, uh, whether it was uh, cattle pastures that had been grazed, whether yep. it had been a field that had been mowed and baled up, or whether it was cornfield. And it was wet. It was green. We had a hard time getting around in the vehicles because of the rain they'd been experiencing. But we walked more. We walked into those the fields that weren't on the edge of the road. We'd walk through a couple fields that hadn't been cut to a field that was cut, and it was just money. So, it, you know, there is no fail-safe. There is no, if you go here, you're going to kill a coyote. But if you guys will get out and learn your areas, and especially where you're deer, you can identify where those does are having their fawn. You found those fawns, those one, two, three week old fawns that have yet to go up and, and start running with mom. Wherever you find those fawns, wherever you've seen those fawns, that's where those does are dropping those fawns. And you can protect those fawns just by getting in there and calling those areas. And, uh, gotcha. Okay. So it's 80, 80% of the fawns they kill are the ones we want to grow. The right. Bucks. The bucks, right. When we covered that in the last show. Got it. All right. So in reality, you want to do your loop, but you also want to pay attention to where the the young deer are being born and then potentially focus on those areas more so than others just to make sure you can give give them a chance, so to speak. If there's a large pack or herd of coyotes in the area, we want to make sure we can at least uh, deter them as much, much as we can. Absolutely. And even if you don't kill that coyote, you call him in and he smells you or whatever – at least that coyote's got in the back of his mind. Anything he hears, <laughs> there could be trouble. And that alone, just your presence in that area where those uh, fawns are, are uh, going to be born is a good thing. Okay. All right. Very good. Now, as far as the, the roads that you're traveling, your loop, so to speak, um, and I assume this varies from country or place to place, but let's say, you know, in Vermont, you're traveling what I would assume was, you know, asphalt to dirt roads do to do you get into the off-road stuff where you need to get into vehicles that like jeeps and and better off-road vehicles and, and search those areas as well where you're really off the beaten trail where maybe only a four down there in alabama from? with vandy collins we got into a mule and then even a bad boy buggy okay and so we we drive to a, a pasture and then we park on the main road and get into one of the buggies and insert ourselves in those pastures on those but that's what they were checking the cattle with every day okay. was those buggies so those coyotes were totally used to that noise you know so they think the guy's coming through checking the cattle and he's gone and then all of a sudden we'd sit up and call and uh man we just had great great success okay just being in proximity to you know accessing those pastures and most of those pastures you couldn't have driven a truck because of the weather due to moisture right. or whether they, the owner just didn't want uh, four-wheel drive trucks driving through that pasture land. Okay. So in that scenario, like, for example, in the Northeast, you know, you can you can get out onto these ATV trails. A lot of them, you can, they're passable with a, a good four-by-four four four truck or definitely a good Jeep or something of that nature. Um, 
in those areas, those those coyotes, it's a it's a road that's less traveled, and they're not going to be used to vehicles coming up in there at all, except for maybe ATVs on occasion. Um, right. Is that something that – how sensitive are they to the sounds that aren't there all the time? Well, I think anything out of the normal, they key on. So if they hear truck door slamming and then 10 minutes later hear a rabbit distress and then they go have a bad experience with it, they're going to remember that. But I don't think they're superhuman. I don't think they're more intelligent than us. I think a month goes by and they're not as keyed on to that, you know. So, but I think any of any noise out of the out of the ordinary that's not normal might garner their attention. But at the same time, if it's something that happens every day, um, uh, you can use that to your advantage to move around. Okay, gotcha. So, uh, how, once you establish a place to go, you take your four wheeler, you take your buggy, you take your truck, whatever it is that you need to get to wherever you're going to go, and whatever field it is, the hidden field out in the woods where you've identified an area where maybe fawns are dropping and where coyotes are also hanging out with their pups. What? Once you get to your get off your vehicle, how long do you, or is there even a time frame where you have to wait to see how long? I know. Does it have to quiet? Does the woods have to quiet down like it does for deer hunting? I guess is the well, question. Well, everything has a rhythm, and I do know some guys. No matter where they go, no matter what they do, once they've shut the truck off, once they've walked out to where they're going to set up, they walk the call out there, set it down, walk back. I know guys will just sit there and listen, and they're listening for the birds to crank back up. They're listening for that natural, there's a natural rhythm, there's a natural sound that a good woodsman, you kind of tap into that. You know, you kind of know that that bird, uh uh-oh, there's a bird alarming, or, you know, that bird's saying, look out, there's, you know, something different. But when, and I know some guys won't call for 10, 15, 10, 12, 15 minutes. They'll just sit there, letting things calm down, they call it, or just getting back to normal. and I've done that, and I've also sat down and started calling. And just because I don't think those coyotes were close enough to to know that I was there. It's it's how good a job you did sneaking in there. It's how good a job you think that the other animals in the area aren't setting off and and tipping you off to the coyotes. Those coyotes are paying attention to everything, and and you need to, too. As you go in there and you want to effectively uh, remove some of these coyotes off these properties that you're growing these nice white tails, you, you want to tap into that. And so there's no set answer. Um, most of the time, I'll walk in, identify where I want to set the collar, identify where I think the coyotes are going to come from. I'll set my chair down, set my bipod down. I'll walk out, place the call where I want it. I'll look at that, make sure that's where I want it. I'll, I'll re-look from where the collar is. I'll re-look to where I think I'm going to call the coyotes from. Um, what I love about fresh-cut fields, especially hay fields, is whether they're round bales, square bales, I love it when the bales are still out in the field. Because I know those coyotes have been frustrated with hunting those fields when the, the, the hay was tall. But that first day or two it's cut, I think it's like a free-for-all for them. It's like a brand-new super highway that they can come check out all the new smells and all the new open area. Mm. And, man, I love sitting next to those bales out in the field, whether it's 100 yards, 50 yards off those edges where I think those coyotes are going to come off the ridges. And I put that collar next to me or, you know, I'll be downwind of it about 30, 50 yards. And I'll turn it on and, man, you can hear the coyotes running through the leaves <laughs> coming <laughs> off the hill, coming out to the edge of that. There's nothing finer than to just to, to know 
that you got in there quietly, you set up, and those coyotes, even though they were only 150, 200 yards from you, didn't have a clue you were there. It, it must be um, a feeding frenzy in a sense, where and not not for like deer in this case, but you know the rodents, no. the the rabbits. The, oh yeah, those you know. coyotes. It, it just opens up a whole new world to them that had been shut down for over a month. Right. You know, as soon as they cut a field, it's it's on. And and sometimes the haying process will kill some of the rodents. It will kill snakes. It'll and man, they can go. They play. The, they're the cleanup crew. They're the ultimate cleanup crew. A coyote is, and he will. They'll eat anything. Gotcha. So, so that so it's kind of like you know your food plot in reverse. Um, it's like that's their food plot. Absolutely. They're thinking about meat. They're thinking about all these things that they couldn't quite catch up with when the the grass was high because there were too many hiding spots. Now they've they're all exposed, yeah. but the, the rodents aren't smart enough to get out of there. They're still going to be in there. So. No, they're still going to have their little, you know. And then the the, the um, pocket gophers. I mean, don't kid yourself. Um, there's 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 a bunch of people out here in the West that will not let you hunt coyotes if you're around these hay fields because they have so many pocket gophers. They know as soon as they cut that alfalfa that those coyotes will go out there and just those moles or the the pocket gophers have been protected by this foot and a half, two feet of vegetation. Well, those gophers don't know that that vegetation's been cut. Right. And all of a sudden, they go pushing out one of their holes, and they're, you know, there's nothing around them to protect them like it has been for the last month and a half. And, man, they're easy pickings for those coyotes. So some of the farmers want the the, the gophers gone, in a sense. So they're, they're... It's crazy, yeah. They, they pay, you know, God, there was times, I think some guys will pay up to a quarter of kale now. And people go out there and literally set five, 600,000 traps and just move through a field trying to catch people's gophers out in Nevada. It's crazy. Wow. And this one guy will not let you hunt a coyote on his place because he's convinced that uh, when he lets people shoot coyotes, he's more uh, gophers are eating his hay. <laughs> and it's consequently around that place, the BLM around his place is awesome. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Because it's just a, it's a coyote factory. Okay, so so go, going to get permission to hunt would be can be challenging if there's a gopher problem that the, the yeah, the or if the guy to... well, there's just people that think coyotes have a natural spot and they do. Yeah. I just think it's you know there's other things that I want to promote right. uh, higher than a coyote, and so that's why we hunt them as hard as we do. Gotcha. All right, Dusty, do you have any uh, questions that you want to pin on Al here while we've got them? Can you explain that, like in the mornings, Al? Uh, generally. Just just uh, after daybreak, the coyotes will be running across the fields. Tell right. me, they're going to be they're going to be going from their feeding area zones to what I call their loafing or bedding areas. By ten a.m., they're especially in the early summer to midsummer. It's getting hot. You got to reckon by well, I mean, it might be fifty or sixty degrees in the morning, but it's going to be seventy or eighty by ten, eleven o'clock. So those coyotes are going to get up and hunt about an hour or two before light. And then that first hour of light is just magic time. And then they're heading for their loafing areas. And you can use that to your advantage. You can set up, you, you may have, you may know they're out in your neighbor's place, but they're going to be coming to that bedding area that's on your place. And you can set up on that edge and uh, take advantage of it when they're coming back in. Gotcha. Yeah. It just makes sense. That now you explained it out. Uh, that's, you know, w- what's the likability of calling them on their way back? It's really good. Um, coyotes are opportunistic. So, um, if you set up ahead of them and the wind is right, you know, that you got to have a couple factors go for you. And, and that's a tough time to call in the mornings because that wind can switch. It can be steady uh, while it's dark, and as soon as it starts to get light and that, that sun starts to do that thermal action, it can 
completely 180 the wind on you. So you kind of got to play that and uh, learn your area that way too with the winds. But uh, I mean, day in day out, you can uh, you can find those areas. You can uh, get ahead of them and uh, catch them when they're coming out of those open fields and into those bedding areas. Gotcha. Okay. Let me ask you this: Do you by chance have any calls there at your fingertips? I do. Can you run us through some basic call techniques that are, let's say, your top three most successful calls? Well, let's just uh, we'll turn this old shockwave on right here, and I'll I'll let you listen. Um, my preset number one is always Kyle Pup Distress Three, and some people may not know what that sound is, but it's my most successful sound for all times of the year. You play this sound, coyotes will react to it. And this is Kyle Pup Distress Three. I use that sound in the fall. I'll play rabbit for, uh, you know, I break coyote hunting into three seasons. I have my spring, summer season, which we're in now. And then I have my fall season, which fall season's August 15th to about December 15th. And then I have my breeding season, which is December 15th, January 1st through March 15th. Coyote pup distress three is one of those sounds that works year round. So in the fall of the year, when I primarily only play prey distress sounds, I'll play my prey distress sounds for 12, 15, 20 minutes, depending on where I'm at. I never, ever leave a stand in the fall without playing that coyote pup distress three. And all that's telling another coyote is there's a coyote in distress. And it just triggers so many coyotes. You can watch it. You can go online to uh, our YouTube page, our Fur Taker YouTube page, and we have five seasons of Fur Takers downloaded on YouTube. So you can go to that, and you can start looking and see how many times I've used Coyote Pup Distress 3 to kill coyotes, whether it's in the fall of the year. Then during breeding season, um, February, March, um, man, that high pitch really seems to be good when they're in thoughts of love. And then now, uh, April, May, June, July, August, their pups are getting into trouble. So it's just a the Coyote Pup Distress 3 is my number one sound. Year-round, I'll kill coyotes with it. And so will you. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. Man. Here's the male coyote howl. It's a non-aggressive howl. It's uh, it's really good in uh, the breeding season. It's really good uh, spring and summer. So what's he saying, Jay? I think he's saying uh, shock top at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just saying, is anybody out there? Here's female Yodel House. He's saying the same thing. Right. I don't know. She might be saying, I love you. I don't speak coyote. I just pretend to. So, <laughs> Where is everybody? You know, right. Yeah. I, I really think that's it. But as soon as you start, I mean, I'll, I'll give you some more sounds. But I, this is coyote pup screams. This is a coyote that's in distress. He's He's hurting. And then this is Kyle Death Cry, same thing. I just think those two sounds are more aggressive. They're definitely a coyote in distress. I mean, here's coyote. Um, coyote pair is an awesome sound this time of year when you want to sound like a pair of coyotes that's moved in on another pair. If I know there's a pair of coyotes, I like to play this sound. I think those two coyotes are saying, hey, we're we're going to set up shop here. We're dominant. We're going to kick your butt. At night, 
when I'm locating, driving around, I use coyote group pals, and that's this sound. <laughs> really triggers them to howl back. They're, so that, they, that one there was like a, a group of coyotes calling. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And then this, I want you to listen to this. That last one was a group, but this is called female submissive. And this is some pups. This is a year, a year, year and a half old pups that were recorded in, in uh, Wyoming. And it, it's got a little different tone to it. This is, I play this sound when I want to bridge the gap between the non-aggressive and the aggressive house. This is kind of not aggressive, but it's not, uh, it's, it's in between. Listen to this sound. That's a couple pups that are just sounding off. And I, I, you know, they could be, they're sub adult. I think other coyotes pick up on that. And, uh, it's just a really good bridge sound, I call it, between non-aggressive to aggressive. And uh, that's what you're dancing. Every time you set up to call a coyote, you, you're playing a tune, you're, you're dancing. Are you going to dance fast? Are you going to dance slow? Um, you've got to decide as you go into it. You know, Jay's the thinker, I can tell. He's got to have a plan, and he's got to go into it with a plan. Um, it's really good to go non-aggressive and then bridge that with that female submissive, which is in between. And then you can go to the challenges. Then you can go to the coyote pup distresses that are really aggressive, that are really... And, uh, man, I just think you're you playing a scenario. You're dancing with those coyotes, and you're, you, you're putting it out there that I'm another coyote. I'm in your area. Now, do you have pups? Do you have food you're protecting? Do you have a territory you're protecting? And then the four-cylinder you can fire on is their stomachs. And so the thing to remember is during breeding season, I primarily vocalize. During the spring-summer season we're into now, I primarily vocalize into the pup, the canine pups, the, and I'll let you listen to those too. But never forget about a guy's stomach. I mean, we all have to eat. So um, it's finding those um, bridge sounds. It's, finding, it's, put, it's connecting the dots for the coyotes to give, you, give them a reason to come see you. And it, it's just fun. It, it's a life... I learn every time I go out, um, I never, I never experience the same thing too many times in a row. They always challenge me. Um, there's nothing easy about it, but, uh, um, at the same time, the challenge is uh, going out there and, uh, and fooling those coyotes to come to you. Here's canine pups. I'm going to. play that sound this time of year when those pups are just hitting the ground yeah it's it you might as well just i mean it's the same thing if you were around a nursery or you know where people were having babies and you put a baby down and walk away and it's crying it's not going to sit there and cry very long somebody's going to come take a look at it and it's the same thing with those coyote pups those the mom and dad they've invested their whole year and you've got to remember that these coyotes have invested their whole their whole existence is around successfully getting this uh, group of pups to adulthood. So anything that you can throw in the mix that will confuse them, will change them up. They'll think, oh, my heck, Henry, I got one. And I've even, I've sat and watched a coyote. She sat and counted her pups, but she thought, even though she knew she had every one of her pups, 
I really think she knew that none of her pups were in danger, but she still had to come to the call because it was a coyote pup in distress. And they're just, it's that they have that nature and you can take advantage as a whitetail manager. You can take advantage of that and go and get some of these coyotes that are eating your fawns. Gotcha. That's intense though. That's, 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 uh, something you, you see natural instinct to go after the pup distress call. Mm. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those things that they, they'll, they'll defend their territories to the death. They'll defend their pups to the death. And that's the decoy dog. And if you guys haven't seen any of that, um, We've got a couple episodes that are last year. I did I did a decoy. I went to Kansas in the last week of May last year, and we killed 12 coyotes in three days. And when you introduce a domestic dog into the mix, those coyotes lose their mind. That's why this time of year, starting in February, people will be out jogging or running with their dogs, but their dogs get attacked by the coyote. Well, during February and March, it's a breeding thing. But in uh, April, May, June, July, they're defending their pups. And so that's what makes it um, really interesting. Gotcha. Al, how quickly have, has, have you killed a coyote when, after setup? Um, we, I sat down, and uh, it was at a world championship, actually. We pulled into the area about 3 a.m., got a couple hours of sleep at 5.30, and it, get, it gets light at 7 in December. So it's about 5.30, 6 o'clock, we started to get dressed in the truck, and I leaned over with my nice petite chest and hit the horn on the truck. Okay. And my, my coyote hunting partner looked at me and said, are you out of your mind? What did you just do? <laughs> and I was just leaning over trying to tie my shoelaces up when I hit the uh, steering wheel horn. Yep. And I said, do you want to go to stand two? And he's like, no, this is where we saw those three just standing here uh, three or four days before the contest. So we went out. 15 minutes for light, sat down, let everything calm down, because it's the first stand of the morning, we'll do that. Yep. Get out there early so nothing will see us walking in the dark. I could just see about 100, 150 yards is all. It was just cracking enough light. Garvin lifted his hand call up and went, wah, wah, wah. On the third wah, he drops his call, picks up his shotgun, and shoots a coyote charging him at 10 yards. <laughs> That coyote had to be within 20, 30 yards of him when he started calling. He just didn't see it. Right. And so he shotguns that coyote. And when he shotgunned the coyote, it was kind of it was kind of hard on the coyote because he broke all four legs. Well, the coyote started bawling a little from the pain, and I'm sure that doesn't feel good. And a big old male coyote comes running in behind him, smells him, and runs right to me. And I shotgunned that coyote at about 20 yards. Wow. So we hadn't been on stand a minute, and we had two coyotes on the ground. He went back to calling. On his third series, I rifled a coyote at 100 yards, so we shot a triple all within five minutes of uh, <laughs> setting up and calling. So that's the fastest I've had him come. I've actually stayed on a stand 45 minutes. I killed five coyotes in 45 minutes. All five of them came as singles, and uh, I had three of them laying on top of each other. When the coyote had come up and sniffed his buddy laying there, I shot him, and then when the third or fourth one come up, I shot him, and then the other two were on a different trail. Wow. All coming. So you can stay and just keep calling, and coyotes will just keep, you know, if they hit. You, they have to be within that mile and a half, two miles. Now, in dense hardwoods, I don't think the sound travels this far. I think it's only going about, a, if you play 30 to 40 stage volume, you're only going to cover uh, half to three quarters of a mile in dense foliage. But I've had a coyote, and people, I was in Nevada, two inches of snow, it's eight miles across this valley in Nevada. I turned on the unit, went to 32 on the volume, on a 40-stage volume. I saw what I thought was a rabbit, a jackrabbit on a two-track road. Um, it was a coyote 
12 minutes later, I shot 22 yards sniffing the speaker in a sagebrush. I got in the truck and drove 2.3 miles to where that coyote had hopped out on that road. Gotcha. And uh, he covered that distance in 12 minutes. So Holy smokes. Have you ever sat on a stand where nothing came together? <laughs> I've sat on more blank stands than I ever have successful. Okay. Um, I run across the board. I average three successful stands for every 10 I make. Gotcha. Now, there are days at the World Championship, I try to run closer to 50%. And that's because I really do my homework. We're making 25 stands in a day. I need at least half of those stands to produce. Right. And then you still got to shoot the coyote and get in the back of the truck, which can be a challenge. Right. But, uh, that's, the, that's a whole nother game. Um, but honestly, don't get discouraged. If you're only calling one out of 10, that's not bad. Um, and if you're, and if there's a guy out there that's listening to your podcast that calls him in every time, I want an open invite. I will come film it. Let's just go hunt together. I got to see you work, man. Gotcha. So <laughs> for somebody that is just starting out, if you get one out of 10, that's pretty good. It's good. If you get three out of 10, you're doing amazing. You're as good as anybody. And if you're doing five, if you're doing 50%, I want to hunt with you. Right. You're the best of the best. You're really good. I mean, there are, there are densities and there are places that the coyotes are so thick that you can, you know, you can run that better percentage, but, uh, Day in, day out, I'll take three out of ten stands. Okay. All right. That's that's good to know. Just to kind of figure out, you know, instead of getting discouraged, what am I doing wrong and so on, I think having those numbers helps you put it into perspective mentally so you know that you can go out the next time because there's something that's probably going to happen at some point. I have gone 30. I, I It's kind of a false number. I did 36 stands the first time I ever tried to film coyotes. I went 36 stands before I successfully put a coyote on video. Okay. And now I called in a couple other, there was coyotes that I called in during that. It was about a one in 10 proposition during that deal. But the cameraman either double punched the record button or he didn't punch the record button. Okay. And uh, we didn't successfully get them on film. But on average, um, running different terrains from California to Vermont, Texas to Alberta, Canada, um, three out of 10 is good. Up there in Alberta, Canada, I it, I actually we actually went probably six or seven out of every ten stands we produced a coyote. It sounds like baseball numbers, like hitting statistics in a lot of ways. Yep. You know, you're going to fail six yep. out of ten times, uh, but if you get four out of ten, you're the best hitter in the world. Um, yeah, no, you're 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 major leagues. You're major so, leagues. So, and you yeah. know. And you're going to have these streaks where you go 0 for 36. and But that's just because it's a streaky kind of thing like baseball is, baseball hitting. Then so, you're going to have the day that you go out, make your four or five stands, and you're going to call in six, seven, right. eight dogs. You're going to kill one on every stand, and you're going to yeah. think, I got this down. Yeah. I'm the man. You're going to go on a 36-game hitting streak, and <laughs> so to speak, and then you're, all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to get the hang of this. And then the minute you think that is when you start going in a slump again. <laughs> yep, that's a great analogy. I like it. It sounds very similar. Gotcha. Al, I've got 10 rapid-fire questions for you. I did not prep you for this. hope you don't mind. Okay. They tend to nope, come off. fire away. All right. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? Number one hunting tip is uh, set up. Set yourself up for success. Okay. If you set yourself up where you can't see them or you can't kill them, you're not going to. So set yourself up for success. Gotcha. All right. We all have these things we bring into the woods with us that are basically good luck charms. Uh, we feel naked without them when we sit in our stand if we forgot it in the truck. What's that one thing you have to have with you? I carry a medicine bag. It's got some little Indian, Indian arrowheads I found, little 
just good luck stuff. I'll, I'll even stuff some blood or hair off every animal I kill into it. So it's got all kinds of crap in it. Just gotcha. good luck. Okay. Good juju. Very nice. Well, how old are you now? Uh, 49, turned 50 in August. All right, man. Very nice. What would you tell the 25-year-old Al Morris, knowing, um, knowing what you know? Patient. Slow down. Slow down. Life in a race. Gotcha. What's your biggest pet peeve? Um, stupid people. <laughs> That's the most common answer, actually. That's pretty funny. Uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Um, this morning, uh, I actually had a, just a protein shake. Okay. So you're at a hunting convention. You meet a stranger in the lobby. You strike up a conversation. They ask what you do for a living. What do you tell them? I kill for a living. <laughs> I like it. All right, you get your own blank billboard. You can put anything on the in the on the world or in the world that you want to put on it. What what, what does it say? God loves you. All right. I say the word successful to you. Who's the first person that pops into your head and why? That'd be my dad. Um, he was the first one to graduate from college in his family, and he was just he was my hero. Gotcha. What's a day in the life of Al Morris look like? Um, I get up in the morning, answer emails, uh, check anything the Fox Pro Boys have for me. And then it's, uh, today I'll tell you what I did. I loaded up my dogs and we took them for a run looking for, looking for coyote dens in the spring. I'll be hunting coyotes from now till, uh, March of next year. We'll spend, uh, we'll spend 160, 200 days doing it instead of talking about it. Nice. And so I would assume, do you do any deer hunting as well? I love to do, I'm going to Kansas this year. Oh, wow. My buddy Jeff Ryder is going to put me in a tree in Kansas. Very nice. In fact, I'm glad you, I got to put in. We got to the end of the month, I think, to put in for Kansas. Right, I'm glad I, I put the reminder out there for you. So nice. when you go deer hunting, what's your day look like? Um, We'll get up, you know, we'll get up in the tree for light and uh, we'll wait as long as I can hold out. If I think they're moving all day, we'll stay in the tree all day. Uh, if they're not, uh, we'll get out, eat some lunch, get back up, prime time. Very nice, man. Dust, do you have any final questions for Al? What time of year or is is the best to kill coyotes? My favorite week be the first week of July. Um, anywhere in the country, the pups are big. Mom and dad are feeding them and protecting. Them. You go out there and play some of those good fox pro sounds. You will kill a coyote. Awesome. I need to remember that. All right. So the July fourth week is really the ideal coyote killing week. That's interesting. It's the, you know, I used to think December was awesome. I used to think January was good. You give me July first week off. July 1st to August 1st, man, you can really hammer the coyote. That would explain why all the missing cat posters hit the telephone poles all across the country right around July. That's why. That's right. Absolutely. They are in hyperdrive feeding those pups. They will do anything. They will kill. They will try to kill a thousand pound cow. They will eat snakes, grubs, watermelons. Yep. They will do anything to feed their babies. You literally, if you, you, you can time this, it's a timing mechanism starting the week of July 4th through August, you will literally see more missing cat photos on stapled to telephone poles than any other time of the year. Because that's when they the, the, the pups are in full demand. They, they, they're almost, they're not big enough to fend for themselves, but mom and dad will do, they will kill themselves and kill everything around them to feed those pups. All right. And then just a few short months later, they kick them out and because they want to save what's there for the next year. Everything revolves around this time of year right now. Gotcha. All right, so we have to do our part as hunters to control the coyotes as best we can. We can't eliminate them, no matter if you tried. It's just not going to happen. But the more that you can knock it down, 
the better off you're going to be when the deer season rolls around. Bottom line. If you'll start a program now, even if you didn't do it this winter, if you'll start now and protect this group of, of uh, uh, fawns coming, or at least just get two or three coyotes that would kill two or three of those fawns, in four or five, six years, you're going to see bucks that you didn't even know you could grow on your place because you started now and do it every year. Don't get them all. You know, you can just get two or three. If you just got two or three off the place you like to deer hunt, yep. you might get the buck of a lifetime in just five short years. That's awesome. And last question for you, Al. Is there a better time of day to hunt? It sounds like you like the morning a little better. First first stand of the day is the best stand of the day. The second best stand of the day is the one just before dark. Gotcha. Okay. Kind of like deer hunting in a lot of ways. Yep. All right. Al, this has been a pleasure. Once again, you we went deeper. We learned more about coyote hunting than we did in the last show, and I guarantee you our listeners will be very thankful that we had you back on. Well, you guys are awesome, Jay. I appreciate what you you guys do, and, and I really appreciate the time you give us to talk about what we love. I appreciate it, man. And we'll have you back again for a third round at some point. Uh, but I think we've uh, we've covered a, a very vast amount of coyote hunting. So um, once again, thanks for joining us on the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Thanks, man. Al sure knows his stuff, man. Uh, it's unbelievable, ain't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's unbelievable. But 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 also it's it's super believable if you follow Al on Facebook or you know through Fox Pro. Man, just incredibly accomplished in the coyote mm-hmm. hunting area. He found one niche that he really enjoys and stuck with it, and now, you know, he's just he does it every day. He's a he's a professional coyote hunter, and that's right. pretty darn cool in my book. Yeah, in my book too, also. But uh, you know, it's just like us podcasting, Jay. We love it, and we're determined, and, and we're gonna we're gonna make something and go a long ways with this podcast. And you know, Al's no different with the coyote calling. It really shows, you know, the educational. Uh, talk that he was able to offer you know not only the listeners and, and yourself and i but everybody that runs in Al can learn something from him in the coyote woods yeah yeah it's just it's nice to hear somebody that's such a a passionate hunter and an expert in his field and uh, i just you know it's, it's nice to have al come back to do the part two uh something we don't always get but and there's Sometimes you, we have those guests where you just, it's kind of left ha- hanging a little bit. You're like, that was great, but I, w- I would like to go a little deeper. And Al was able to bring it home today, so that was fantastic. Thanks to Al Morris from Fox Pro. So, D- Dusty, do we have a Chubby Times Tip of the Week this week? You know, I, I'm going, I am going with a Chubby Times Tip of the Week this week, but we're going to base it off turkey hunting just to change it up for one week. 10-4, sounds good. The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morris's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morrisessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morris's Sporting Goods. You know, you got that big strutter coming in. You, you can hear him every time he gobbles. He's getting closer and closer and closer. Then all of a sudden he goes quiet, and you're like, "Man, he's gone. <laughs> he's just gone." That that's that's the mental thought that you automatically pick up. Right. But in reality, that turkey's close enough that he feels he don't need to call anymore. Right. And when he's not talking, I'm not talking. So just be careful. Don't overcall when that gobbler gets close. He's going to go quiet mouth probably for the last 200 yards. Just don't overcall. Let him talk to you 
And if you need a response to him, do it. But just be real careful on that last 200-yard draw in because, boy, he's going to go quiet mouth and he's going to strut. You'll hear him drumming, and he's going to be real quiet. It's pretty cool, though. That's awesome. Yep, that's, that's a good one. And appropriate for this time of year. Very, very nice, man. Thanks to Morris's Sporting Goods for being a sponsor, and thanks to the Eurohanger for sponsoring the show and making this thing happen. Dusty, where can we find you when we're not doing this show right here, right now? Shoot me an email, dusty at com. You can look me up on Facebook, Chubby Tines Outdoors, or hit me up on Instagram, at Chasing Antler. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? You can send me an email to jay at bigbuckregistry.com. You can always go to our Facebook page where everybody likes to hang out because we have a whole bunch of diehard deer hunting fans hanging out over there. And that's uh, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. Instagram is instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. You can always give us a call at 724-613-2825. If you would like to submit a buck for viewing on the Big Buck Registry's Facebook Wall of Fame, go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash mybuck. All the instructions are right there for you. And if you love this show, please leave us uh, a review and subscribe to the show on iTunes if you could. And check us out on Google Play. That just launched this week. It's the first time ever. Uh, they're making some tweaks. It's not quite all there yet, but it's good to see that Google is in the podcast game. And uh, last but not least, um, if you love the show enough and you have a couple extra bucks and you would like to become a patron of this show, uh, there are a bunch, we have a bunch of different categories where you can actually get different things like hats and T-shirts and coffee mugs, things like that. All you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate. Oh, man, this has uh, just been awesome hanging out with with Al and all of our, our sponsors, USA Trail Cams, Marshall Sporting Goods, the Eurohanger, and Dusty. Always a pleasure hanging out with you, my friend. Yeah, likewise, Jay. And, uh, man, I can't wait till next week, Jay. Next week is just another amazing show. Absolutely. You know, don't miss out. Join us every week. We'll be here for, for our listeners and for, for the people that want to learn a little more to take your hunt to the next level. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, powered by USA Trail Camps. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.